Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. I debated this morning. I guess that's the humanistic way of saying I prayed about. Prayed about whether I should have that traditional Mother's Day message. I'm actually one of those guys that's probably guilty of. Like it could be Christmas morning and I wouldn't preach on Christmas. I'd like forget what day it is and just preach something else. And uh, But a little bit of that is this, but um, I really felt like the last couple of weeks this is something that God's put on my heart for us. It's about unbelief. Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screens right here. I think we've got the scriptures up. I gave her a lot of scriptures today. I hope you guys like reading your Bible because we're going to read a lot of Bible today. You guys okay with that? Three people are okay with that. That's nice to know. That's great. I don't know what the rest of you guys are reading, but we're reading from the Bible. Shout out if you've got a KGV, KJV. Mark chapter 19, verse 14. I'm going to read in the NIV. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit, that's a demon, right? When the spirit saw Jesus, uh-oh, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Very interesting. When demons experience the presence of God, that's often when the worst actually comes out. It can't hide anymore. We had a man over here once that had just such an experience. And he ended up getting carted off to the hospital because everybody thought he had a heart attack. And that's not a wrong call necessarily, but he just had a demon that couldn't sit still anymore. And he got delivered from that demon, set free, filled with the Holy Spirit. Didn't he? I love it. My neighbor who passes the church, actually Caleb's wherever Caleb is, his dad, he pastors the Chinese church down the road from my house. And uh, we're, we're good friends. And he's like, he was telling me this story about he, this is a, uh, a, a very traditional church that is not really open to the things of the Holy Spirit. That's a nice way to say that. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit and really wanted to bring in signs, wonders, and miracles. And so he's been trying to bring that in to a church that's been fairly resistant to it. And uh, yet things are happening that he can't deny. And he said, this one woman who has been the headache of the church, you know what I'm talking about? Just look straight at me. Don't look at the person next to you if I just said that. Don't look across the room and go, you know what he's talking about. That headache of the church, well, they've been bringing in the Holy Spirit. And when she walked in the building, she immediately threw up on the floor of the lobby and started laying out on the floor. And everyone went, oh, my gosh, call the paramedics. And he's like, no, finally, it's the demon cast it out. She stands up and goes, oh my gosh, I'm fine. What was that? He said, that was a demon, but now you're free. 
And everybody else went, that's what that was? We just thought she was being an idiot. Oh, my gosh. We want some of this. And so revival is hitting this little Chinese church that I'm pretty excited about. Why am I saying that? Because get used to in the middle of worship, sometimes people falling out on the floor. Some people may shriek. Some people may throw up. I know that's kind of gross, but that's a common thing that happens. But it's okay because we know how to deal with the devil. Dealing with your will is a different thing altogether. But when the enemy manifests itself, when he comes into the presence of God, he just can't sit still anymore. He can't hide. I don't want, to, I don't want a church that is so concerned about the way we look that we want to keep that element out of church. I'm more afraid of having a church where a demon is comfortable to sit right in the middle of worship and go, this is great. That's not my message. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Do you ever notice Jesus asks questions that he already knows the answer to? Do you know that when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer? But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Isn't that wonderful? I want a church with a lot of people that look like they're dead. But they're not. Let me ask you a question. What was this dad's problem besides the fact that he had a demon-possessed boy? What was his problem? He had faith. I do believe. Like, you can hear the heart of the father. When you've had a child that's been dealing with either a chronic illness or chronic demonization, just to get to the place of faith where you stop trying to manage the demon, medicate the demon, to work around it, to make sure that, oh gosh, whatever you do, don't try to throw them into the fire when we're having dinner at grandma's house, when the relatives are over. Let's keep them locked away so that that manifestation doesn't happen because it will be an embarrassment to him. They, when, you, when you have a whole life around trying to manage your demons who can't be managed, it can be difficult to get to a place of faith. Like, can you actually see your son healed? Could you imagine your child not living with the illness, not living with the demonization, with their ears opened up, with their mouth being able to speak, with blind eyes being opened? I'll tell you, when you deal with stuff that's been happening since he was a child, that's the heart of this father. This has been a long time. But yet when Jesus shows up on the scene, 
you can understand a little bit of the father that's like, I hope Jesus doesn't see my son because that, that could be awkward. But he had faith. He brought the boy to the disciples, which is probably as close as he could get to Jesus at the time. You know, it's hard to have faith when you've been dealing with something for a very long time and have not yet seen the breakthrough. He had faith. He believed. Isn't that all that's needed? But he also had something else. He had unbelief. Lord, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. You see, unbelief is not just the absence of belief. It's the presence of unbelief. Unbelief is as much a substance as belief is. Doubt is as real as faith is. And this father is saying, I do believe, but I also have unbelief existing in the same heart. I have both faith and doubt. Well, you can't have faith and doubt. It's one or the other. You're a Christian. You can't have a demon. Christians don't have demons. Well, this father had faith, had faith for his boy, and yet was suffering a demonization. I love what one pastor says. Can a Christian have a demon? A Christian can have whatever he wants. It's a great thought, isn't it? But just because I'm saved does not mean I'm fully delivered. Does it? In fact, the word salvation in the Greek is sozo, and it means saved, healed, and delivered. In other words, the cross provides for our saving, our salvation, our healing, and our deliverance from demonization. Well, I often ask people, since you've been saved, have you had a cold? Sure you have. Well, does that mean you're not saved then? Because you... But if I can be saved but not healed, can I also be saved and yet still demonized? Now, the cross is still the answer for all of it. The cross is enough. But understand that the provision of the cross is for salvation, healing, and deliverance, all three of those things. So you can have Jesus in your heart and be demonized at the same time. You can have belief and unbelief existing in the same heart. This is one of those teachings that I think people get mixed up on as they've grown up because they think, I cannot be a Christian and be demonized. And so when they are demonized, they either think I'm not saved or they think, I just lost my train of thought. Either they think they're not saved because of that or, or they think it's not a demon. Wow, where did my brain just go? They either think they're not saved or they think it's not a demon. It must just be me. And so you work harder and you read your Bible more and you pray more and it's getting worse and you're going, what's wrong with me? And you start to gravitate towards teachings that tell you to renew your mind instead of being delivered from demons because your thinking is coming from the demon, not from you. And you're putting all of your human effort into changing something that only God can deliver you from. Unbelief is not the absence of belief. It's the presence of unbelief. It's a tangible thing. Look, we already know that belief has substance, right? And the words belief and faith, they're kind of the same thing, so I'm going to use them interchangeably. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. So faith has substance, but so does doubt. So I do want to encourage you in this. The presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. Just because you have doubt doesn't mean you don't believe. But just because you believe doesn't mean you won't doubt. So how do we deal with these coexisting things that happen in our own heart? Because that doubt, what happens is, even when you have a measure of faith, the doubt is the thing that makes you want to quit. You ever have that? just makes you want to quit. I did a race yesterday, and it was rainy, cold, hilly, and windy, like the perfect four. doesn't get any better than that. And trust me, at some points, many points, I wanted to quit. And my body was going, not only quit this race, never do triathlon again. You are old. You are tired. What are you doing? You paid for this. You're crazy. You've got to preach tomorrow. And so everything in me was like, I wanted to quit, but I didn't. You see, wanting to quit is not the same as quitting. And just because you have the desire to quit doesn't mean you don't have the faith to keep going. One of the questions that comes up in our premarital counseling all the time, I love this, is there's a, as a survey that we do, and one of the questions says, nothing will ever cause me to question my love for my partner. True or false? Or like one to five or something like that. You guys remember that question? Like nothing will ever cause me to question my love for my partner. And every single couple is like, that's correct. Nothing would ever cause me to question my love for my partner. And it's actually kind of viewing marriage through rose-colored glasses like I will never. Because when you're engaged, you never see yourself doing that or you never want to admit it. But the truth is, as you've been married for a while, there can be many things that cause you to question your love for your partner. There can be times when you're in the middle of an argument and you hear the word divorce. You're like, where did that come from? Or there can be moments when you're not feeling love for your partner. And so then you think, I must not be in love anymore. So therefore, I need to look somewhere else for that love. Do you know there's been moments, probably once, maybe twice, when we've been in the middle of a discussion. we're in the middle of a discussion, and I hear this voice, just get divorced. I would never dream of doing that. But that thought just clicked in my, like I literally heard it. I'll just, just get divorced. Like it, the, the, the discussion wasn't even at that level. But you know what I did? In the middle of our argument, I'll say the word argument, when I heard that, I immediately said, hey, Rummy, can we stop for a minute? Because I just heard this. And I'm not, I'm telling you now, I just heard this. I don't want to do this. I'm not thinking this. But this just came in my head. And we said, well, we reject that lie in Jesus' name. And we began to pray for each other. And I said, I thank God for my wife. I thank God for who she is. And it left. I'm like, whew. Because I'll tell you what, there's some days when you entertain the thought. You're like, no, maybe. Or you start going, gosh, am I that bad a person? Or is she that bad a person? 
and it just starts to kind of take root. And though you never would have considered it, you haven't dealt with the thought because you haven't brought it to the light. I know you may think that's crazy to do that, but I knew that that thought is not going any further than it just came. And by the way, whatever we were arguing about didn't matter at that point because it's kind of like when the guy manifested in the middle of our service, in the middle of worship. That, to me, was the enemy manifesting that that's actually what the argument was about. It wasn't about which way to put the toilet paper, where it is on the top or on the bottom, because we all know it's on the top is the way it's supposed to come down. We do understand that, right? Like the patent for the roll of toilet paper said that it's got to go on the top, not on the bottom. So what's the point in arguing, right? But anyway, going back to the point, sorry, Jesus and Rummy. So um, when you realize it was never about the thing, but this was the enemy trying to drive a wedge between us in this particular time. And so when that thought, just get a divorce, came in my head, I went, oh, I know how to deal with that. You just showed your hand, and now we're going to squash it, and the intimacy that's going to get developed as a result of this. Do you know when I crossed that finish line yesterday, my legs hurt so bad, but there's nothing like that feeling of crossing the finish line. I didn't win, but I finished. When you're able to deal with those thoughts, the intimacy that comes is like crossing that finish line. The intimacy that you build with the Father when you allow Him to catch the little foxes that spoil the vineyard in your brain, it feels like you cross a finish line every time because you're right back in that intimate walk with Him. Doubt makes you want to quit. It's what you do with wanting to quit that makes all the difference in the world. You know that parable of the mustard seed that Jesus talks about? It's in Matthew 17. It's actually in, in the three synoptic gospels. But in Matthew 17, he talks about the faith of a mustard seed. I think we get it backwards. I, I, I know we, maybe we know the story. Maybe we know what he said. But in our minds, we think, if we have the doubt of a mustard seed, it eliminates all of our faith. Like, you have to have this great faith, but if you have even the smallest little bit of doubt, then it wipes away all of your faith. But that's not what Jesus said. Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus replies, Because you have such little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the unbelief of a mustard seed that ruins the faith. It's the belief of a mustard seed that throws mountains into the sea. How great is that? So it's not that you have to have so much faith that you can't have any unbelief. It's just a little bit of the God kind of faith will throw mountains into a sea. Because unbelief is the enemy, right? It's the enemy. But God says he sets a table for us in the presence of my enemy. In other words, the Lord sets a table in front of my enemy, unbelief. Isn't that great? The same demon that had kept this boy dumb and mute, had sown unbelief into the heart of the Father. Same demon. That's what he does. He attacks the identity of your kids, 
and then throws a seed of doubt into you and says, if you try to get me out of here, I'll kill your kid. The same demon that infects the child throws a seed of doubt into the heart of the father. And his father goes, I believe, but something caught me. Something, something fell into me. I've got this unbelief, this doubt, because it's my kid. I don't want to lose my son. I don't want to lose what's... So if this doesn't work, he dies. And I can't handle what that is. So I, I want him healed and I believe, but there's a side of me that's like, but I know how to manage this. Every now and then I can control it. And yet Jesus is the one that can set him free. The enemy will attempt to silence the voices of our kids so that they cannot worship and they cannot hear the voice of God. And then he sows doubt into the hearts of fathers that silences them too. Oh Lord, help us in our unbelief. I want to let the unbelief fall on deaf ears, not the voice of God. That when that seed of unbelief gets sown, it does not find fertile soil. May the Word of God find open ears and open mouths, proclaiming the glories of God. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, and they just declared the glories of God. But yet the enemy wants to infect you, wants to keep you from declaring the glories of God with your mouth. He wants to keep you from hearing his voice just like this boy. That boy could not hear the voice of his father. He could not sing praises to God. Yet Jesus opened his ears, opened his eyes, got rid of the demonization so that he could finally do what God designed him to do, and that's be an object of love and to worship and to hear the voice of the father, both his earthly father and his heavenly father. The first two voices this boy heard was Jesus and his dad. Could you imagine? Do you know the first voice you'll hear when God opens your ears is his. And when you hear the voice of the good shepherd, you'll realize how different he sounds to every other voice that you've heard. That's not the voice of doubt. That's the voice of love. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much. And I pray you hear it from Him. Not just from the guy with the microphone on Sunday. I pray that He opens your ears so that you can hear Him. And that He opens your mouths. Father, let us not make disciples who are dumb and mute who are not looking to find their voice, they're looking to hear your voice. That are not so interested in self-expression as they are in worship. As they're not so curious what everybody else thinks about them. But it's your voice they lean into. I pray for our young people that your voice will be the loudest ones in their ears and in their head with so many distractions and pulling left and right. Let your voice resonate in their hearts like a tuning fork. It just doesn't stop. It just resonates and resonates. 
In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells another parable. It's called the parable of the sower in your Bibles probably. But I think a better title for this would be the parable of the soils. Because it's not so much a story about the person sowing a seed. It's a story about the soil that the seed fell on. I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear, again, bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Jesus goes on later to explain the parables. I love the parables that Jesus explains. You know what I think is really funny? When you hear people preach on a parable, but it goes left, and you read Jesus, but Jesus explained the parable. I had one of those moments recently. So Jesus explains it in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The truth is, there are seeds of faith that are sown into your heart. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is what He's come to bring to you. Those are seeds of faith that if I trust in God, I will be saved, I will be healed, and I will be delivered. That He wants to fill me with His Spirit to live a life not just of forgiven, but a life of power where I can carry on the supernatural ministry of Jesus through these hands if my life and heart are submitted to him because I am God's plan to bring the gospel to the world. You are God's plan to bring the gospel to the world. It's his power, but it's at work through me. It's not the power of Clayton. It's the power of Jesus flowing through me. But there's also seeds of doubt that get sown. Just like in this father's heart. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I find two things existing in this heart at the same time. Faith and doubt. Belief and unbelief. I, I have the belief, but God help me get rid of this unbelief. What do I do in this unbelief? Well, when Jesus tells this story of the parable of the soils and the type of soils that seeds fall on, what if the doubt and the unbelief was the seed that fell on the difficult places? 
What if the seeds of faith of the gospel of the kingdom found the good soil, but rather than the gospel falling on the hard places, what if the doubt and unbelief seeds fell on the path? Let the seeds of doubt fall on the path of my heart. Look, you can sow these seeds because there's another sower that comes along, and that's the devil. He seeds those thoughts. Get a divorce. Well, what if that seed fell on the path? As soon as the lie is told, let the voice of the Father come and steal away the lie. That's what I pray. Let it fall on the path of my heart. Let the seeds of doubt fall on the rocky places of my heart. If I somehow have believed that lie, that little doubt, when the enemy, when the snake comes to Eve in the garden, and he says, did God really say you're not to eat of any tree in the garden? That's a seed of doubt. Did you really hear? Eve, did you really hear? Because that's not what God said. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree but one. But the devil came and said, did he say you can't eat of any tree? He's questioning Eve's ability to hear the voice of God. Did he really say that? Eve got it right. She went, no, we can eat it all but one. Oh, well, that's because he knows that when you eat of that tree, you'll be just like him. So at first he sows a seed of doubt that she can hear God. Then the enemy sows a seed of doubt that she understands the heart and intentions of God. There's one thing to know his ways and another thing to know his heart. She passed the first test. She failed the second one. I pray that when the seeds of doubt get sown into my heart, they fall on the rocky place. So even if I believed a subtlety of a lie, even if there's an element of that, it's like, hmm. That even if it does take root, it's going to grow up among rocky places. And what happened to that? It got exposed to the sun. It grew quickly, but all it did was expose itself to the light and heat of the sun that scorched it up. I pray that when the seeds of doubt and unbelief get sown in my heart, it may take a little bit of root, but it gets exposed to the S-O-N very quickly. And I say, God, this just grew, and here's what's in my heart. Would you scorch this with Holy Spirit fire? You are an all-consuming fire, and this will not take root in my heart. So it got in there a little bit, but even the one that got in a little bit, as soon as it shows its ugly head, the sun just goes, oh, there you are laser beam, whatever it is. That's my dramatic. It's gone. Let the seeds of doubt fall in the rocky places of my heart. Doubt hides in the shadows. That's what it does. When it hides in the shadows, shine a light on it. This man exposed the darkness of his heart. Sorry, he exposed the darkness of his doubt. It could have been easy to come to Jesus and go, I've got belief. What's wrong? But he didn't just come and impress Jesus with his amount of faith. He said, I, I do believe, but I've got this other thing in me too. It's not that deep, but it did get in a little bit. Help me with my unbelief. He exposed the darkness of his doubt to Jesus and got the healing that he wanted. How much time I got? Okay. Can I be very real with you? I had a moment like that this morning. I've got my friend Casey that's here, Casey and Brenda. These guys are awesome. Casey knows me from way back. 
And when he came in this morning, I was like, I was so, I didn't know they were coming. I was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. But you know what? There's a side of me that just went, oh, but it's rainy and it's Mother's Day and there's not going to be a lot of people here. And I found something in my heart going, I want you to see, I want you to meet our people and I want you to, but there was a part of my heart that was like, I want you to see that this is working, what God's doing. And I found myself in this place of, I want to impress. <laughs> and I'm going, what's wrong with me? I even dropped my glasses because am I making you nervous? And I was like, no, I just got a seed that dropped in. Like, I don't think that way on Sundays. I'm glad you're here, by the way. But I don't count heads. I don't take attendance and all that sort of stuff. I'm just happy you came. And whether you come or not, Jesus is here, and I'm meeting with him. So, but I'm happy you're here. I'm glad you came. Well done. You braved the rain. Woo. But I found a seed. And I'm walking around going, what's wrong? Oh, that's a seed of doubt. That's a seed of unbelief. That's a seed that if this place isn't full like it is at Easter, somehow it's going to be a sign that God's not doing anything. I don't know. So I just went, oh, that tried to get in. It, it, it had a chance, but it's going to fall on rocky places. So I expose it. And in the middle of worship, I just go, God, I just, I don't know what that was. I do, but I renounce that lie in Jesus' name. And it's gone. <laughs> it's that easy. Pastors, you're immune to this stuff, right? Oh, my gosh. That's a big seed that a lot of pastors get all the time. And it's gone. It's gone. The third one, let the seeds of doubt fall on the thorny places of my heart. Let the seeds of doubt fall on the thorny places of my heart. Do you know what I want in my life? I want thorny people in my life. Thorny people in my life. Do you know what that looks like? It means that if I've got, stand up. That's the, interna that's the international sign of sound, stand up. Two, two old guys. Come on over here. That means... When I get the seed of doubt that gets sown into my heart, and as soon as I begin to think a certain way, and that thing tries to grow, I've got two big thorns sitting around me. And as that thought tries to bear fruit, it just keeps getting stuck and it can't get out, and it's getting choked out, and it's going, come on, you're a loser. Not that many people showed up. And they're like, dude, what's wrong with you? You okay? You're not looking the same. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not. Do you need to repent of something? It's like, no, no, I'm fine. And it's this thorny thing that as this, as this root of insecurity tries to grow up, all these thorns, stop touching me, all these thorns, let's not, let's not get weird, all right? But I've got these thorns that are around me that just keep choking out so the seed just can't, listen to this, bear fruit. It got in there, but no fruit will come of this. Because the fruit of unbelief is misery. It's misery. I'll never change. I'll never get out of this. I'll never get healed. My mind can't be healed. All of these things, if you've got some good thorns in your life, these are my thorny bros right here. Thorn one and thorn two. Thorn. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? I want thorns that can see me and that have permission to go, how are you doing? The problem when you pastor a church sometimes is you so insulate yourself from that that the only people you give access to to say that don't actually know you. And the ones that do know you don't have the authority to say something. I need thorny people in my life. Thorns don't feel so good, do they? Right? You know how you avoid certain people for a while because they can see you? I mean, see you? I tell some guys, if you find me avoiding you for some reason, stick a thorn in me, right? I'm not putting the pressure on them to be that for me. I have submitted my life to that. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. But more so than having thorny people, and this is the last one, let the Word of God find good soil. Is it's friendship with Jesus that will most help you overcome belief. Friendship with Jesus. Ultimately, it's the soil that determines the growth. Do you know that? How a seed grows, according to this parable, is determined by the soil. So I'm already saying, let the seeds of doubt fall on the hard places. So even though they might get in, let them fall in a place where they'll never bear fruit. And let the word of God fall on fertile soil. But it's the soil that determines the fruit, not the sower, and not even the seed. It's the soil. The seed is what it is. The seed has all the potential in it for a whole garden. But it requires the right kind of soil. Do you know that in, in my, um, I'm gonna, it's spring, I've got to talk about my grass. My grass, look, you shouldn't worship your lawn, but if you're ever looking for one worthy of it, I'm kidding. But I, I've been having some trouble in my lawn. I've got all these weeds popping up. So I'm doing a little bit of research, way more research than I should. And, uh, and I'm, yes, I'm getting my soil tested by uh, Virginia Tech to actually determine the exact nutrient density of my lawn so I can get this right. You can do that too. Just go get a packet. And, anyway. I've... So here's what I discovered as I'm, I'm looking into this. Because here's what I do. I'll go hand pull all of my weeds hand pull them. Romy says, our grass is like the condition of my heart. The better the grass looks, the worse my heart is. And I'm like, she goes, when the grass looks terrible, I know you're doing pretty good with Jesus. I'm like, dang it. Because it's my therapy going to pulling weeds, right? I can't fix that guy, but I can pull this weed in Jesus' name, you know? <laughs> I can't delete their Facebook post, but I can pull that weed. You don't talk back. Anyway, so I'm sitting here, and I'm pulling weeds, and I'm, I'm trying to get rid of weeds. That's the problem. I'm spinning my life, spinning my wheels, trying to get rid of weeds, trying to get rid of weeds. Then I realized the reason I have so many, I have dandelions in my yard. And you guys that keep posting, oh, dandelions are nature's best gift to the lawn. No, it's not. They spread disease. They are a disease. Those little, those are demon seeds that go into your weed. That's, anyway. I've got dan never had dandelions before, and I'm like, dandelions? Man, I just got rid of crabgrass. Dandelions? What? I'm going to pull up all these dandelions, and it's just more work for me. Until as I, I read that it's the soil that determines what grows. The reason I have so many weeds is that my soil is too acidic. And weeds love acidic soil. My lawn is the best possible place 
for weeds to grow. So if I keep pulling weeds all of the time, I'm creating more acidic soil. The answer for me is not to keep pulling weeds or to keep putting weed killer down, um, organic, environmental friendly. Maybe made by Monsanto, maybe not. I'm just saying. The answer for me is not to kill more weeds. The answer for me is to change the condition of my soil. So I actually have to go spread lime this year, but first I need the soil analysis. Otherwise, I'll spread too much or not enough, and then I'll create the opposite effect. But the answer for me to not grow more weeds is to change the condition of my soil because my soil is the ideal environment not for beautiful Bermuda grass but for weeds. What happened? My lawn used to be this beautiful Bermuda, dormant in the wintertime, but in July when all y'all's fescue is turning brown and you don't know what to do because you cut your grass too short and you water it too often and too much, my Bermuda is just like, oh. Again, it's not worthy of praise, but it was so great, but something turned my soil to acid. When it comes to the condition of our own hearts, I pray we don't just spend all of our time pulling weeds. Got to get that seed out. Got to get that seed out. You know, once the seed is sown, good luck picking it back up. It's real easy just to go, whoosh, go try to pick all those up now. Not so easy. But if the condition of that soil is just the right pH balance, if it's the softening of our hearts by being in the presence of God, by surrendering our heart to Him, by engaging in worship with Him, it creates a soil that is not so great for weeds, but boy, is it great for grass. It means that when God sows His Word into your heart, it finds the good soil, and the weeds suddenly find an environment where they can no longer flourish. And it's going to be really hard for that weed to sprout up and grow. It's certainly not going to be able to reproduce and scatter more weeds and more thoughts. That thought the enemy sowed into your heart, into your head of doubt and unbelief of, I thought by now I'd be married. I thought by now I'd have kids. I thought by now I'd be healed. I thought by now. I thought by now. I thought by now. That seed of doubt and unbelief that get thrown into your heart, it just can't grow. It just can't. And if it does, it grows up so fast that you go, oh, my gosh, that's right, that's unbelief. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. This father got helped in his unbelief. I promise you, when his son said, Abba, unbelief went, oh, crap. Because it can't stay anymore. Expose the unbelief to the son of God and watch it get scorched up. Don't worry that I don't have enough faith. You only need a little bit. Just the faith of a mustard seed. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus tells them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. In Greek, that word, have faith in God, is not have faith in God, but it's have the faith of God. In other words, when I have developed good soil in my heart, that when I pray for somebody to get healed, I have as much faith that they will be healed as Jesus has when he prays for them to be healed. And I don't think Jesus came up to that demon-possessed boy and go, ooh, that's a tough one, I don't know. 
Peter, James, and John, can you help me with this one? I'm not sure if I can. I better get somebody more spiritual to pray for this person. No, I am have the faith of God, the God kind of faith. When you develop good soil, your heart is good soil, then you can have as much faith as Jesus does when you pray for something. Can I pray for you? I just want to pray through these couple of things. And I want you to actually make this the prayer of your heart. We're going to deal with all of these places. And maybe those seeds of doubt and unbelief that have been sown into your own heart. Let's pray for the path. Jesus, let the seeds of doubt fall on the path of my heart. I want you to pray this. God, would you sweep away every bad seed that's been sown into me? I want to hear your voice. Steal away the lies and replace them with your truth. Lord, let the seeds of doubt fall on the rocky places of my heart. And I expose to you every lie that I have believed. If it falls on the path, God, then I hear your voice and you can reveal the lies that I have believed. Because if I believe it, it's not a lie. It's truth to me. No one purposefully believes a lie. So, God, we need you to expose the lie. And as we do, God, we bring that to you. If there's anything particular in your heart that the Lord is bringing attention to, just tell him. Say, God, that's a lie. And I renounce that lie. Whatever it is, say it. I renounce that lie in Jesus' name. It might be, you may, (laughs) after you buy your mom lunch, you may spend the afternoon letting the Father speak to you about these particular things. Expose it to the Son. Let Him scorch it. Lord, I pray that the seeds of doubt would fall on the thorny places of my heart. Come on, pray it with me. That they would fall on the thorny places of my heart. God, help me to develop the kinds of relationships that are open and honest and full of love. That I can expose those places to my brother and my sister. And they can pray with me so that I can be healed and I can be whole. And Lord, I want to walk with friendship with you. Jesus, be my friend. Help me to overcome my unbelief and create the right soil in my heart that I can receive your your word openly and let it bear fruit. Because Jesus... I believe the fruit of my heart will reap a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.